Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit, and I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit, and we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. All right, welcome to episode 32 of The Future Belongs to Creators. Today, we're going to talk about creating a content strategy from scratch. And the example that we're going to use is how to have the best dance moves on an audio-only podcast. That's not actually the case. But if that were a contest, Barrett would win. Obviously. Obviously. Well, Barrett, let's, uh, let's dive in with how are you doing today? Um, how am I doing today? I'd say I'm a little frazzled. I don't know what color that represents, but... Uh, <laughs> it's its own spectrum. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, yellow. It's like a, a sunshiny uh, frazzled, you know? It's actually cloudy outside, but I am my own sunshine. Um, I'd say yellow, green, Wednesdays. You know, y'all know the routine. Know. It's meeting day. We just got off our leadership planning, planning meeting, and um, that means we usually rush into the podcast. So... I'm just excited to kind of settle on in for this conversation before my four more meetings afterwards. But in general, things are good. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, a lot of the same things. I rushed off, ate some ate some lunch, um, and then we're back here. So, you know, uh, that's pretty much all. Lots of good things going on in the work front. Tiny house is cruising along. It's like 80 degrees here in Boise today. 80 degrees and cloudy, which is impressive to pull off this early in the year. So it's like it's starting to feel like summer is here. Um, I'd love everybody tuning in live. Drop it and drop in the chat. How are you doing? We'd love to uh, love to hear. Sean's green today. That's good to hear. Let's see. I guess today's Wednesday, which also means we check in on the state of the world. Right? That's what we said. It does indeed. Yeah. I was reading yeah. I was reading the update in preparation for this. Okay. Well, you were gonna say first something else. No, I would go first. You can you can do the update. I was just thinking we would check in on like how does it feel before we get into the the numbers, you know, I like that. All right, let's do that. Now let's do the numbers. Then. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so we're over, over 3 million cases worldwide, uh, 220,000 plus deaths around the world. Um, a lot of the major early epicenters in the United States, New York included flattening out mm-hmm. uh, in terms of that does not mean there are no new cases. It just means that there are not an increasing number of new cases, which is a really positive sign. Overall, the U.S. is kind of flattening out, but there are some new hotspots, um, often somewhat unsurprisingly related to either places that didn't close, uh, didn't keep people home, or places that are reopening. So I think this is kind of the state of things that we're going to be in, is this kind of fluctuating up and down as we release ourselves back into the wild and then see the effects of that and then restrain ourselves a little more. What are some of those new hotspots? I haven't paid super close attention. I want to say the number one place I saw was Iowa. And then there are a number of other countries as well that are kind of ramping up. Um, Brazil, Mexico, a couple of other places have an increasing daily rate. You know, stay home, stay safe, go grocery shopping once a week. You got to take the risks that you feel comfortable with. But in general, we are still very much in the middle of this thing, which leads us to we, you know, the nice thing is our number of episodes is kind of a nice barometer for how long it's been. Right. Um, oh, Felipe's in Brazil. Stay safe down there, Felipe. Sorry, just responding to the chat if you're on audio. That's the benefit of being live. 
we're in it. You know, we're six weeks into this podcast. I think that started a couple of weeks after we started um, physical distancing and isolating. So we're well into it. I know how I'm feeling, but before before that, how are you, how are you been feeling about it, Nathan? Well, I mean, I feel very blessed as we've talked about to have a bunch of space and to have projects and, and stuff like that, not to be in like a studio apartment in, I don't know, the middle of Manhattan or something. Um, so that's good. It's interesting watching people start to loosen things up a little bit of like maybe like, for example, we went to the store and got some plants the other day and it was a very careful trip, but it was like, Oh, that was a, that was a non-essential trip. And it brought our trips out of the house in the last seven days up to a whopping two, uh, (laughs) you know, from one. So it's still like very locked down, but like starting to see those signs. I'm starting to get texts from, uh, the salon that I go to for a haircut, like, Hey, we're starting to open it back up in a couple of weeks, you know, and, and they have all kinds of rules around it. You know, you're gonna have to wear a mask, which I don't know how I'm going to get, I don't know. We'll figure it out as a society, but it, it's just interesting seeing this start to happen. Uh, I was, I think I made the comment to you, not on the podcast, but I like, it's time to go to the dentist. And so I was, I was looking up last night, like when do dentists reopen? You know, what is, what will that be like? They're medical professionals. It should be safe. Um, turns out they start opening up uh, here in, in Boise or they're allowed to start in a week. And so it's like, okay, we'll, we'll see how that goes. So still limiting everything a lot, but starting to get in a few of those things that we weren't doing at all before. Yeah. It's interesting because the opening up is entirely related to our emotional state, not to this changing state of biology or the actual like data-driven aspect of this whole thing. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how we adjust. We're not very good. We're emotional creatures. You know, we're not very good at using data to make decisions. I know for me, I was sharing with our our team earlier that I noticed myself, I'm I'm a lot more tired when I wake up Mm -hmm. right now, um, which, which shows me I'm not sleeping as well there's probably some attachments to some different things. I think I'm not hydrating as well right now because I'm going thing to thing and staying busy. A lot of pollen outside at the moment. There's obviously environmental stress, uh, all that good stuff. So I'm tired. You know, it feels like we've been in this a long time. I've done a lot of the big projects I had on my mind around the house. Mm -hmm. You know, we've still got some, like we're going to do the nursery this weekend and a couple other things that have been on the list but I'm kind of running out of things to keep me busy. So I'm going to be interested to see as I have more free space, how, how my mind, how my body. Whether good or evil comes out of that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I was just, I was looking at some numbers, you know, cause it is very different in every location. And you and I both live in areas that are pretty lucky from, from this perspective, as far as yep. how hard we've been hit, how much warning our local leaders had, that kind of thing. Um, I thought it was interesting that Idaho started pulling, they'd always had this um, COVID-19 by reporting date graph. And you can see like some days are zero and um, you got days that are 57. And lately it's been a lot lower, right? 25 confirmed, 17 confirmed, you know, bouncing around. But they now have this other graph that I thought was more interesting of they do the date of onset of symptoms. And you can see that people are getting tested where the symptoms started earlier. And you always have to figure this out. This is like a cohort-based graph of conversion rates. You know, it's the same kind of thing where like a day today isn't going to be very high because someone who got symptoms started today is like, oh shoot, maybe I should get tested and there's going to be a lag from that. But it is interesting to watch kind of the shape of this graph and see how it's changing. Um, I'm also Mm -hmm. just impressed that the state of Idaho is using Tableau for, you know, like a, 
a dashboard. I was talking with somebody the other day and they're talking about how society has like advanced 20 years as far as use of technology <laughs> in about six weeks. Oh, it was the mortgage guy because you cannot close on a mortgage and I'm refinancing my house right now. Uh, digitally, not possible. Well, not allowed. Can't be done. But now because of this, you can. <laughs> and you're like, oh, so was that a real thing or you guys just didn't want to solve that problem? I love it. Let's transition. Let's do it. Get a nice little 10 minutes of checking in and state of the world. I uh, just like to throw out that Teddy Williams did a little Google search and looked for a color between green and yellow and came back with chartreuse. That is the pronunciation. Uh, I know that because it's also a liqueur made by, or the story goes anyways, it was originally made by, I believe, monks, either monks or um, priests, one of the two. It's an herbal liqueur. And so I recognize actually that color because it is very much green, yellow. That's right. I love how you're like, let's transition to talking about obscure facts (laughs) about colors and not content strategy and how to create a content strategy from scratch. All right, Barrett, now dive in. Yes. All right. So content strategy. I mean, this is the core of being a creator online, regardless of what you make and sell, whether it's music, furniture, film, photographs, or more like a podcast. And that's the actual thing that you make money from. Content is a major part of how you market what you make. And when you have a great content strategy, it can really help you accelerate the growth of your audience. So What I want to dive in on today is a couple of examples of building content strategy and how maybe you can take that and apply it to your business. We're going to assume that we're starting from scratch. I think if you don't have a content strategy up to this point, you could use the same strategy and come out pretty well. So it's, you don't have to be starting from nothing. Um, I think the lessons will still apply. And the first example I wanted to use is actually our blog at ConvertKit, Tradecraft, because we took very much a creator-centric approach to that blog. It's nothing different than what I would recommend for um, any given creator getting started. And so the context there is that um, the online business, online creator, just general creative education space is quite crowded all of the people who kind of invented uh, search engine optimization are creatives. (laughs) Right. And so when you're competing with the people who know exactly how to build an audience using search traffic and using content, it means you've got to be pretty decent at what you do and you've got to take a solid approach. So we knew that coming in. We were going to have to be very strategic about what we made and why we made it. So as we took a step back, we knew that our audience was creators. We knew that much of our audience was going to be at the beginner level, but we also know that creators don't want to be treated like they're stupid because no one likes to be treated like they're stupid. And so our general outlook on our content was that we wanted to start from the beginner level, but teach to the expert. Mm-hmm. And so we always we never wanted to make assumptions about what you knew, but we wanted to be able to take you from getting started all the way up to earning a full-time living and scaling your creative business. So that was kind of our two starting points. We knew our topic and we knew our audience. Hopefully many of you know that too. We've talked about some of those topics on on the show before. And then we took a step back and we said, all right, what are the major buckets of information that a creator needs to know when they're getting started? And I'm actually going to share our blog on the live stream because I think it'll help kind of illustrate the approach that we took. But... What we started with was I said, all right, there's the marketing side. 
And within marketing, there's content marketing, there's paid advertising, there's affiliate marketing, there's like different categories. Then there's business models, how you make money. There's digital products, there's physical products, there's services. And then we went just on down the line. There's like the operation side of running a business. How do you keep a budget? How do you how do you hire contractors? Kind of all of the just like day-to-day type things that aren't as fun, but need to be known. And so as we did that, we ended up with what was essentially kind of like a chart that across the top was a big category, marketing, operations, um, products, things like that. And then down the middle were like smaller buckets, component pieces of each of those things. And then within each of those little cells, you could imagine an article living or a podcast episode. So like content strategy, for example, this episode would live within that marketing (laughs) bucket and it would live within content marketing underneath the marketing bucket. And you could, you could probably come up with a hundred ideas all just within that little square of content marketing of the chart, right? My brain thinks in charts. I think that content strategy is a really useful time to use something like a spreadsheet or a chart to come up with your high level categories. And so I just, before we get into like, all right, what did we do from there? I want to show some of um, what ended up becoming issues. And so this will get a little bit into format and things like that. But one thing we knew was that very high performing content on the web is often very in depth. It's very focused on outcomes for the user it's highly searchable. So people look for that kind of content often. And what we had seen was that there are sometimes these kind of like, almost like a book with an index online where you click between topics within that very large piece of content. And so we decided we were going to use that as our primary format. We called it issues. So we almost thought of tradecraft our publication as almost like a print publication would. Each issue was going to have an overarching topic and then multiple articles within it. So you heard me talk about different ways to earn a living online. The first one we wanted to tackle, because I think a lot of times people get started as creators and they think, well, I'll just make stuff and then I'll figure out how to make money later. And one of the things I want to push on people for is figure out how you're going to make money. Right. Because once you know how you're going to make money, you know what you're building towards. So we tackled that right up front and said, well, here's some of the different ways people make money online. And you can see on the live stream that if you look at the page of we called this issue, issue number one, the many faces of online products. We have the title, we have an overview, we have sharing buttons, we have a way where you can download a PDF of all of the articles together. And then within this, there were 10 different articles that kicked off from kind of like a theoretical, the truths and myths behind passive income, because passive income is something that a lot of people are attracted to and search for. We have one about starting with freelance services because as your ladders of wealth creation model outlines, Nathan, it's one of the easiest places to start and on and on. And we treated this cover page almost like a letter from the editor in a magazine. Here's why we wrote this issue. Here's what we think you'll get out of it. And here's uh, some of the component pieces of it. So I wanted to give that kind of overview as a, a starting point to say, we knew our context, we kind of mapped out the creator journey, and then we started systematically tackling it uh, one issue at a time with multiple articles per issue. I'd love to just kind of hear, you were, you were a little bit more removed from this process, Nathan, as you saw this coming to life, what were some of the things you noticed about the approach we were taking? Well, I think the first thing is that there was a novel publishing schedule because, um, schedule and like the amount of content you're going to put out and when you release it 
plays a big role in the overall content strategy. And so one of the first decisions that um, you and the rest of the marketing team had made was, hey, we're going to we're going to publish every month like issues and it's going to come out. It's going to be like that whole Netflix season, like House of Cards dropping all at once. And I mean, this hasn't happened in quite a while, but everyone going like, cool, well, there goes the weekend, you know, and everyone would collectively say that because they were all going to binge watch it. And, you know, and be like, oh man, I'm on episode three of it. And someone would be like, really? I episode 12. Should I, should I not admit to that? You know, actually we ran into this side note. One of our director's reviews you, Ashley, and I were all watching Jack Ryan and they had dropped the whole season <laughs> at once. <laughs> and so we would like have all of our meetings and everything wind down for the day, you know, retreat to our separate rooms, houses, et cetera. And then, you know, binge watch a TV show because it's kind of this new model that wasn't done in content um, before, you know, before Netflix did it of dropping the whole thing at once. So we said, okay, we're going to do this more like a magazine than a blog. Um, that's a great point that Jessica I just made, we're going to drop it in that way. And that really changed the format and started to drive it. And you could say, you could think about a month's worth of content as this more cohesive narrative. And so on the flip side, you could take a different set of content and you could have your content strategy or your publishing schedule being, okay, I'm going to have a long form article every Monday and a quick tip every Friday or something else. And you can see how, like I always imagine it with that content you know, with a graph or a table or something, and you've got all these topics across the top. Or no, I guess, let's see, I would do all these topics down the side, and then I would do, like, my placement slots, you know, across the top. You know, I'm going to have an opinion piece. If this was a magazine, I'm going to have the opinion piece. I'm going to have the case study. I'm going to have these other things. If it's a personal blog and I'm teaching someone how to design iPhone apps, then I'm going to have, like, a high-level tactical user experience post that goes out once a week. And then I'm going to get into like a really specific tip where I record a video of how to do something in Figma or, you know, interface builder or any of these tools. And I'm going to have this format that I keep hitting on each week because when that happens, I can just slot everything into my existing content strategy and not have to come up with things on the fly. So even for this podcast, as we run into things, we're like, okay, Fridays are going to be Q and A. We're not going to make this decision randomly of like, you know what? It's been a while since we've done Q and A. Let's work one of those in. Instead, we're going to say, all right, every Friday, it's Q&A, that's locked in. That's one less uh, episode we have to come up with a topic for. And that's also the time that listeners know c- to expect that, can tune in and say, great, I got the question, I want it answered live, and uh, I've got Nathan and Barrett as a ca- captive you know, audience, I guess. And so I'm going to make them answer my question. And so everyone can know what to expect, and uh, you get great content delivered on a set schedule. I love that. So we've talked about a few concepts so far. So the first thing is knowing your topic and being very clear on the kind of universe that you're living within on uh, when it comes to creating content. The second thing uh, is your audience, knowing who you're speaking to and what it is that they want from you related to that topic. And then we talked about breaking that down into component parts. So, you know, in that expertise article that I shared, for example, uh, Tim Ferriss talks about in the four hour chef, the DIS model, deconstructing is the first step. And so in some ways, what you're doing is you're deconstructing your topic ahead of time from the high level to categories, to subcategories, and then individual pieces. So we've talked about the organization and how you get down to that individual piece of content level. 
Then we've talked about two other concepts. One is a publishing schedule. And so I think it's really important when you're, when it comes to content strategy, setting a content schedule, when you're going to publish, how often you're going to publish ahead of time and setting that expectation with your audience. You might want to get into the habit before you claim it mm-hmm. just so that, you know, you can sustain it. I would recommend starting with twice a week at most. Um, I think it's really challenging to maintain more than that when you're just getting started. And then the last thing we talked about is content formats. So you might have different formats, like you mentioned, Nathan, of how-to articles. You might have a story. You might have a question and answer. You might have an interview. There's all of these different formats that you might use. I like to outline that ahead of time so that I know there's these categories of topics and there's these formats I can pick from. So when I have a new content idea, especially if it's not in the grid format, it's just kind of one off as you get further into your publishing journey, you say, I'm going to pick one of these categories. I'm going to pick one of these formats, and then I'm going to go write or make my thing. Uh, And I find that that can work really well. So those are the major concepts we talked about. And at the end of the day, what you're trying to do with the content strategy is fill your calendar with relevant content in an interesting format for an audience that cares what you have to say. That's the core of content strategy. Yeah. I think the other thing is that it can change over time as your goals change, as your experience changes. So for example, one of the most common formats that people start with on a podcast is they start with an interview show. This is kind of like we talked about doing those roundup posts, you know, and, and interviews work in the same way where, you know, if I just get you and the next person all that on the interview, you know, on different episodes, then you're going to start to bring the audience. You're going to lend some of your credibility as an expert in the space to me but, you know, cause like, wow, okay. Barrett came on my show and that's going to build up the, the brand of the show. It's a great idea. One thing that happens with most interview shows is they often don't make that transition from, I am a person asking an expert question questions to we're both experts having a conversation. And one of my favorite ways to do, to make that shift is to bring in some content strategy where what you do is say, say we're publishing a weekly interview show. Then what I would do is we have this hour long show drops every Tuesday at 10 AM, super predictable. And then after I'm comfortable as a creator, as a podcast host, all of that, I'm going to start adding a 10 minute, a 20 minute show, uh, maybe every Friday, something nice and quick. That is my thoughts, something that it might be what I read and takeaways from it. It might be a, a response to somebody else it, you know, I'm working in more of this content. And so now I've gone from, through content strategy, I've gone from, I'm just an interviewer, I'm just asking the experts questions, to now I'm like dipping my toes into creating my own content that's more original and my thoughts. And that way listeners are like, yeah, you know, Barrett's a good interviewer, but I wouldn't, like, I don't know his opinion on anything, to, oh, this is his opinion. This is what he, what he stands for. This is the way he sees the world. And let me pay more attention to that. I love that. I want to get into, um, we, we always come up on time, especially when we get into meaty topics, but I want to share one more thing, which is this is our actual planning document from 2017 when we started doing Tradecraft. And this is relatively rudimentary now compared to the process we follow today, but I think it's good for you to see what our process was like then. So we would do, uh, we'd come up with a, a topic for our issue, which in January, 2017, like I said, was online products. We did some base level keyword research to look for popularity. There's a variety of tools. We could do a whole episode on SEO and different tools. We grabbed those keywords so that we had them accessible. Then we started 
looking, actually doing searches on those keywords. I think one of the things that people may not realize when it comes to making great content or building content strategy is that you're often not coming up with new content or new topics. You're coming up with new takes on topics or more thorough takes on topics. So one thing, just to peek behind the scene is I'm always going to go search the term that I might be targeting or search the topic I might be targeting. And I'm going to read the first two pages of results. And what I'm looking for when I'm reading those first two pages of results are which of these are the best, number one, and number two, where are the gaps in all of this content? What did they miss that I know I should be covering or that because I have a different perspective, I know my audience wishes I would cover. And when you go do that kind of research, and that's why you can see here in our planning doc, different links to posts that already exist. Now we can say, all right, if I write, if I cover the topics that were really good in all of these other articles and all the things they missed in this one article, it's going to be the definitive guide and it's going to have a fighting chance to rise up the rankings. Because at the end of the day, all a search engine is trying to do is present the very best content piece on the topic that you search that's most relevant. So anyways, I just thought it would be interesting to show you, we did the keyword research, we came up with our topic, did our research of other articles, and then each one of those would have its own document where we would start with an outline. In our case, we had writers who weren't me. I wasn't the one writing all of the articles. And so me and our editor, we would sit down and outline each piece and then um, have our writers go work on those. So they would have a structure to work within. But the same thing applies to you even when you are the writer or the podcaster or the YouTuber. You should make your outline separate from making the content because it'll give you, I find that when I sit down to write to an outline, it's just fill, it's paint by numbers. Mm -hmm. It's filling in the blanks with what I know. It's when I don't have an outline when it's really hard to sit down and actually make content. Yeah, that's good. I'm thinking of something that I was writing earlier this week that I'm really struggling with and it's because I didn't create an outline first. You know, and you're realizing there's these things that you miss. And so I think if we give a shout out to Pat Flynn, he talks about this idea of there's no unique messages, only unique messengers. And so as you're looking at that competitive landscape, and we're going to go over time, so we're going to skip creators of the day and resources and <laughs> all of that. Uh, I think it was Keshna that totally called it, but we can run long today. Um, yeah. These bozos are 10 minutes in. They haven't even started the topic. Yeah, exactly. Uh Proof that your audience will put up with a lot. So thank you guys. <laughs> so uh, with this idea of there's no unique messages, only unique messengers, you can go look and see, okay, this is the entire landscape. You're not like, I wonder what's going on, like what this piece of content is competing with. That doesn't have to be a question in your mind because a handful of Google searches and you have the answer and you log, these are all the best articles. And then you go and set that aside and you really look at what is my unique perspective what is my life experience? What is my perspective, my unique goals and all that, that I can apply over this, right? It's a lens through which I see and can teach this topic. And so then you're not just aggregating the best content from 10 different places. You're really saying, okay, this is the full research. This is the full understanding, getting ideas, right? It's sparking things. If you're like, oh, I have a story that touches on exactly this, you know, and tells it better than some you know, result number four on the first page of Google. And then when you weave in your story and your perspective and put it in your format, then you're going to find that it ranks really well in Google, at least from the content side of it, right? There's a whole promotion and building backlinks side of it. Um, but that sort of thing is really important because Google is looking for 
you to deliver the uh, like the canonical answer to something. If I you know do a search for how to build my email list, how to you know email marketing, the complete guide to email marketing, any of those things, and I click into that result and I stay there and read it, Google's like, cool, we got that one right. There's a vote for that post. But if I click in and then I immediately show back, you know, ten seconds later, I'm back on the Google search results. Then they're like, oops, sorry about that. We'll do better next time. And they'll reshuffle the order and they'll, you know, for future results and they'll try to give you a post that's more valuable. That's right. And, you know, if you wonder why are they talking so much about search engines? You know, I thought this was about content for my audience. It absolutely is. And I think your existing audience is what tells you what topics matter most. Almost without fail as an online creator, your greatest source of audience growth will come from search engines. And so what you're trying to do is find the overlap between serving your existing audience and topics that people and writing about them in a way that caters to topics that people who don't know you yet are searching for. Yep. Um, but I want to revisit, I just want to hammer home the point on story. Story is what makes writers, podcasters, YouTubers unique. It's their personality, it's their personal background, and it's the stories they tell. My favorite writers all have I, you know, sometimes I don't even understand how they do it, but they have a habit of saying, Oh, I just heard a story. I'm going to make a note on that because that's worth talking about in an article later. It's not just facts, figures, and process, right? They're looking out into the world and saying, Oh, that's fascinating. Like James clear the other day wrote about a homemade toaster project that this guy started. And I was like, what in the living whatever were you doing when you found out about a homemade toaster project? And I'm sure for him, it was like, I don't know. I read an article. Yeah. But, but he made note of it. He made a note of it. He logged it away. So in all of this, right, we talked about talking about story, talking about search engines. One example that I really like to bring it, you know, back together is if we look at a different search engine, not Google, let's look at Google's other search engine of YouTube. Um, as we mentioned, it's the second largest search engine there is. And you can start to see how you how search plays into content strategy. My favorite example uh, is Charlie Prangley, who's actually going to be on the show tomorrow. And we're going to talk about life as a creator, growing an audience, and then particularly dealing as a female creator, dealing with um, a lot of what comes your way. Um, and Creeps and haters. <laughs> yes. Um, so we're going to talk about that on the show tomorrow. But um, one thing that, that she does really well is she makes one piece of content a week that is made for the search engines with that in mind and another that's made for the story. And she like they for sure cross paths, right? They are woven together. But one of them is about, here's how to do this thing as a designer that you're probably searching for. How to do this thing in Figma and Photoshop, whatever. Uh, one of her most popular articles or videos is on uh, DIY screen printing. It gets thousands and thousands of email subscribers coming in from it. And so you got to think the views going to email subscribers, it's a lot. And that's because that ranks really well as a search engine topic. And then she has the other side of touching on story where she says, okay, this second video of the week is going to be a vlog style. Like, you know, let me just tell my story and you can connect with me as a creator. And that's like, no one's going to go on YouTube and be like, you know what? I want to search for, you know, YouTube vlogs by designers who live in Europe. Yeah. That's, that's my YouTube search term. It's not going to happen but I'm going to find her content through another search and then really dive in. So you can look at it from that perspective and um, really play to both audiences. And that's where you're going to get the discovery from your content strategy. And then you're also going to get people hooked in with the story. Yeah. 
I love that. I love that. Okay. So um, quick review, start with your topic. Think about your audience at all times. Your goal is to solve problems for them or teach them something that they didn't know already. Break it down into categories. And then within those categories, you have topics. Uh, And each topic could be a piece of content that you create. If you know what different formats you enjoy using, whether it's an interview or a story or a how-to article, it can be really useful to have those frameworks already. And you might even have a default outline that you use within those to create the content. Once you have a topic, do some research. Go online, search for the terms that you think your audience might search for when they're looking for something like this. And know what's out there. Knowing your competition is something that's valuable. It doesn't mean that you copy. It doesn't mean that you don't have your fresh perspective. It just means you're doing your homework. Once you've done your research, make your outline. Uh, Write to the outline and do that as a separate process. Outline and writing or podcasting or YouTubing are different things than the outline process. And make sure you add that layer of personality and story to every piece because that's actually what people are there for, especially once they're already in your audience. They don't just want the wiki how answer to their question. They want Nathan's answer. They want Charlie's answer. They want Teddy or Josiah or whoever's answer. And it's really important that you don't shy away from your voice as a content creator. Um, But we think if we use a structured process for thinking about the future of your content and you publish consistently, you should end up with a growing audience. I love it. It's a great place to wrap up. Thanks for listening today. And uh, we'll see you all back tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today. Thank you.